Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. <laughs> happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is Podcast with me, your host Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg-Shaped and we have a greatest hits, the Living With The Lions series, the highlights from the lions that have been on the pod and do we have a pod for you, John Bentos Bentley, the star of Living with the Lions. If you had it on VHS or DVD like me, or if you're one of the millennials who's now watching it online, it is just joyful. The man scored tries, he kept the spirits high, and you saw how much it meant to him to play for the badge. I feel very honoured to call him a friend. He is daft but he is magnificent. He's very, very honest. I've had the pleasure of speaking with him. I've listened to him give his speech, and every time it makes me chuckle, even though I know a lot of what's coming. A very good human, and I was delighted when he gave up some time to listen to me. I hope you enjoy his highlights. We also have, on the opposite end of the spectrum, the quiet man, the silent assassin, the man who was given no chance against those giants in the Springbok pack, Recently inducted to the Scottish Rugby Hall of Fame and no one more deserving than Tom Smith for everything that he achieved in his career. He's had some challenges recently. It was so good that he gave up some time to speak to me and I absolutely loved it. I hope you enjoy listening to Ben Toss and Tom Smith. I know I enjoyed being there and I can't wait to listen to them again. Go for it. Your wife gives you a bit of a hard time for only having one story to tell, doesn't she? Yeah, she tells me that went on one tour, scored one try, and you got one speech. Get over yourself. Come on. I love it. It keeps you humble. Now, that that tour, to a lot of rugby union people, they, they didn't really know a lot about John Bentley, and then by the end of it, we couldn't get enough. Well, yeah. It was obviously a special tour and, you know, for me, that was a, a huge moment. I was 17, 18 years old, 97, Doddy Weir, yourself, Rob Howley, Scott Quinnell, you know, even Jeremy Guskett to a certain extent became quite likeable for a Scotsman. Uh, Gregor Townsend was a massive hero of mine. What yeah. was it like joining that tour party right at the very beginning? Do you, know, do you know what, Bruce? It wasn't on my radar. It really wasn't to tour with the British and Irish Lions. I'd, I'd been in rugby league for nine years. 
I'd initially played with England back in 88 to 21 year old on two occasions. Um, and I'd gone to rugby league then. Um, um, and then I had nine years playing professional rugby league. And then I got a phone call. I'd signed with Newcastle in September 96 uh, with Rob Andrew and uh, Sir John Hall's uh, band of brothers. He had an amazing team in the second division, uh, which got promoted and then won the Premiership first time of asking. Um, Frank Cotton rang me January of 97 and said, Ben Toss, it's Fran. I went, yeah, I know it's Fran. I'd been with Fran at Sale before turning professional uh, with the rugby league. Um, Fran and, and Steve Smith. And Fran said, I'm going to come straight to the chase. Are you available to tour with the Lions in the summer? And, and I wasn't. I wasn't. I technically, I was supposed to be playing professional rugby league. It was a, a 12-month contract, eight months with Newcastle, four months with Halifax. But I lied and I said yes. He said, well, with all due respect, you're running riot. You're in a great team. We're going to need to get you a run uh, with England A, the, the second string. And ran me back three weeks later and said, England won't touch you. It comes as very little surprise to either of us. But, you know, but what I'm telling you is we're watching you. And do you know the significant of 97 as well, Bruce, which you probably need to mention is it was the first time that... So McGeekin was invited. He'd been on the tour in 93 which had been a poor tour, really, in New Zealand. Um, and he was invited to, to coach the 97 Lions tour, and he said no. And the reason being is, in 93, a committee picked the players, and he took players that he didn't want to particularly take to New Zealand who weren't equipped to play for the Lions. He said, the only way I'll consider to if I pick my coaching staff, and I also get the opportunity to pick the players, we'll get some selectors and will pick the players and and that was groundbreaking and also the fact that yeah it was professional but there was so much amateur there and looking back we've done lots of work just recently podcasts and and the lads of 97 coming together in the build-up to this this tour this year everybody talks about our tour being the happy tour and it was you know traditionally you've got a challenge with that group of players bruce they can all play but you've got four countries, three of which, the Celts, phonetically spelled so incorrectly. Um, you don't particularly like the English, really, if you're honest. And, and then again, I'm a Northern boy. I'm from Yorkshire, and I don't particularly like the English. Um, but we actually decided we had an in, a, a really important meeting with group of players, and um, we wanted to, to devise a code of conduct and also recognise how we wanted to be viewed as a group of players. And we agreed for two months of our lives to put our differences to one side. And it worked. We became an amazing group of players off the field, which obviously had a great benefit on the field. And, you know, incidentally, I know I'm talking a lot here, but that's what I'm supposed to be doing. But incidentally, we play the style of rugby in 97, Bruce, that we've, we've never played since. Before, we've never played since. You know, moving the ball away from their strength, which is their forwards, and putting four or five players behind the ball carrier and playing some rugby. It was amazing. It, it was amazing. The whole thing was amazing because it was able to be televised here. The t there was no time difference, so games happened at kind of suitable times to watch. The, the Fly on the Wall documentary, I mean, you're probably sick of talking about it, but it never gets old. And I know, I mean, I've, I've watched it so many times and I'll watch it again, I've got absolutely no doubt. But you you're the kind of guy that every tour party needs to bring that energy. And you've already said happiness. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, it's interesting with the film crew because we arrived in Weybridge on the 11th of May, 1997. That was the day that my son was seven year old. It was his birthday. So I'd had some lunch with him and then I disappeared with Tony Underwood down to, to, to Weybridge. Two little girls, one at five and one at six months, which was a challenge to leave them. If I'm honest, Bruce, you know, for two months. Um, and w when we had our first team meeting on the Monday morning, there was a film crew in the corner of the room and they were never introduced. And I didn't realise until later that back in 97, in the build-up to the tour, Geach was told, that, and Frank Cotton, the, the team manager, that there was going to be a film crew um, going to, to try to re recreate Fly on the Wall. And he said, no, 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 that's not happening. It's not a it's not happening and he was told basically he got his own way with picking the players so he had to deal with the fact that the film crew was coming and how he chose to deal with them he ignored them initially he totally ignored them and they were never introduced and do you know what 
they were with us throughout the week, they were wearing their kit, and on the Friday night, we all went for a drink together. And do you know the sad part of us all going for a drink together? We only did it on two occasions, Bruce. That was the first, and the second was after the third test. Because throughout the tour, the rugby was the priority, and there was always somebody preparing for the biggest game of their lives. And the film crew were there, and I, I said, come on, boys, what are you doing? Why are you here? You've not been introduced. And all we want fly on the wall. And I just said, do you know what? You've no chance. There's only a player can get fly on the wall, a real fly on the wall. Um, and actually, unbeknown to me, they got some, some portable cameras that they were going to distribute. They were taking away three. They were going to distribute them to some of the players. And when we arrived in Durban, we went to the gym for the first time. And I, um, if you remember the scene in the gym, and I'd spoken to the foundation and said, I don't do weights. I'm a year old. I don't do weights. I've never lifted a weight in my life. I'm not doing them. And he went, well, you've got to come to the gym. And I said, well, I'll come to the gym, but I'll just do a bit of, you know, a bit on the bike, on the rower and whatever. And I did a knock. I got a knock on, on my bedroom door and it was the lad who was running the crew. And he said, Bentos, can I, can I come in? He said, yeah, of course you can. He said, uh, I've got something for you. And he pulled out of the bag this snazzy little piece of equipment, which was, wow, I've never seen anything like it. Um, he said, it's yours. Do what you want with it. And I took it to the gym for the first time, if you recall. Um, I spoke to that lovely girl called Lauren who was in the step, lovely. Uh, and then there was a girl, her husband must have been very, very fortunate, she was beautiful. And then there was a big truck on the treadmill and I just said, here's one for the front five. So it was fun, you know, it was fun. But, but Bruce, importantly, it also had to be about the rugby. You know, we were given no chance, no chance. And I promise you, when I rocked up in Weybridge in Surrey, I didn't really think we'd get a shot at the series i thought we might win one test match test series really but actually by the time we'd boarded the plane and left way between flew to south africa i thought we were in with a chance i changed my mind when you arrived at weybridge did you know all the players no no i didn't i didn't i knew i, I knew i knew the newcastle boys there were five of us uh, stimo tate doddy tony um I knew that some of the Welsh boys from the Rugby League connection, Scott Quinnell, Scott Gibbs, Alan Bateman, um, Die Young. The Irish boys are easy. They're really, we're only four of them as well. Everybody gets on with the Irish. Uh, but the English, you know, I didn't know the English. And uh, I remember asking Tony about some of them and, you know, what about Johnson and what about Delalio? And, and I, in particular, I spoke, I spoke about Gus. I asked him about Jerry Guscott and, I'd formed a bit of an opinion of Guscott prior to meeting him, which is a mistake, really, but I thought he was a little bit arrogant. He appeared a little bit aloof and arrogant. And he also didn't play in that game when Bath played against Wigan at Rugby League at Main Road, Manchester, and then at Rugby Union in, um, in, in, in Twickenham. And so I thought he was a bit soft, actually, if I'm honest. And I asked Tony about it, and Tony said, Bob Bentos, if he respects you, you'll get on very well. And, he, and Tony said, he will respect you. And I said, well... You know me, Tony. If he doesn't, I'll pick a tackle shield in training. I'll let him hold it, and I'll throw my arm straight across the top of it, across the bridge of his nose, and we'll gain some respect. And actually, when he came into the room, I'd gone, and I, I was attempting to blend Bruce, and we were all meeting up for the first time. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of energy in the room, and I watched Cuscut come into the room. What a presence! What an amazing presence! And he was laughing and joking, and we got brought together. And he put his hand out, and I put my hand out to shake his hand. He went, ah, Bentos, I've heard a lot about you. Looking forward to spending some time. And I, I thought, wow, you know. And what, what, what certainly throughout that tour, um, what I did recognise, he wasn't soft. He was an amazing rugby player. A player that, during extreme intensity, can still stay up there. You know, when we were in the second test and we were just hanging in there, we were second best at times, well, probably for 60 minutes. He still insists that we needed to push and keep playing, and and he's become a great friend. Actually, he's become a great friend, and I, I mean, I do talk about him. I mean, he, I'm sure we'll get into it, but the, there's a there's an occasion when I scored a try that everybody talks about, and uh, I had an opportunity to come passenger, and that didn't, and I ended up getting over the line, and he sold to me. He, he, he told me, he said I should have passed, but do you know what? On the 28th of June, when that drop goal went, oh, that was his moment. And I always remember stood there thinking, and do you know that was, and I'm jumping way ahead now, but that was an amazing moment in my life that we'd been given no chance. We were on the field in the second test, 
three minutes, three minutes remaining. Drop goal goes over. 18-15, we lead in. Jenks had kept us in that game. And when the final whistle went, do you know it was one of the most frustrating moments of my life, Bruce? Because there were so many different places I wanted to be at that one moment in time. There was all the boys on the field who had become amazing friends and colleagues. There was the boys who were in Tegra who sat in the stand, who were a big part of our success. And then, of course, there was my family and all my friends back home, a long way away. And I wanted to share that moment with everybody. And I just remember stopping and thinking to myself, oh, no, no, why? Why? Of all the people, why did it have to be Gus Scott? <laughs> do, you know, do you know someone as a Scotsman, and I've asked Gregor this, why didn't you take that drop goal? Yeah, he, he carried the ball into contact, actually. I know, what the hell was he doing? He should have sat in the pocket and kicked the yeah. goal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was me, and really, and he's, he's a great guy. Misinterpreted. People who form an opinion of him, and it's, it's a negative, don't know him. I... I privileged to know him now and I, I'm, I'm pleased to call him a good friend and I was wrong about everything I thought about him he was an amazing and an amazing blow counsellor uh, we, we can't we can't or I can't move on uh, a mutual friend ours and and we we won't spend too long on it but Doddy Weir was fabulous on that tour oh. obviously nobody had ever heard of him Pumalanga and hasn't heard of it since but if you were a rugby supporter you, you remember it for pretty dark yeah. reasons and Doddy I know you you've been in touch with him uh, very recently uh, what a man yeah crazy flawless flawless and, and flawless as a human being i will defy anybody to say a bad word about him he walks into a room and lights the room up and he's always been fun i like to use the word fun uh but yeah it was brutal he, he obviously his tour came to end. i always remember because i I'd, I'd, I'd used the camera for a couple of weeks and i'd said do you know what to the boys why don't i give it to somebody else and get a different perspective of the tour yeah everybody's relaxing now they're comfortable with me with the camera so i gave it to doddy and actually when he got injured i went to his room to pick the camera up and to say goodbye to him actually and uh, <clears throat> i remember going back to the room and um for that one moment it's the only occasion throughout the tour i wanted to go home i didn't want to be there it was like what's it all about this and you know i laid the pictures of the children out and i got quite emotional about it actually but yeah and then of course for him to, to obviously the tour end, ended like that and, and for the fight that he's got now it's truly amazing i mean you know, you, you, Geach didn't select you and then he did. So, but your respect for him would help people respect you. So when you delivered something maybe I didn't want to hear, you see that it hurts, but it's delivered from a place of honesty. Did you have to go and just steal yourself a little bit or gather yourself before you went on to the next thing? Yeah, there was an occasion. There's a standout occasion for me on, on the tour, actually, and that, that, that's evident we played 13 games, Bruce. There were 35 players vying to play in those games. If you play on a Saturday, every Saturday, you play in the tests. And ultimately, it's all about playing in the tests. Yes, you know, the build-up, we were eight games prior to the first test, which created a bit of problem on this last tour. They didn't have enough games, really, I don't think, uh, in the build-up to the test series. Uh, and as we saw, South Africa hadn't played for two years, but got better as the series progressed um i got into the saturday so initially i was picked for the first game um eastern province uh and i stubbed my toe in training i couldn't believe it stubbed my toe and did i pull out the game um and then we had a midweek game against border and i was still struggling with the toe and james robson the doctor the scots said to me bento i just need to let you know if you don't play and we were talking about it on the on the day of the game if you don't play this evening you'd be going home, you'd be on the plane home. So I had a cortisone injection in my toe and I managed to get through the game and I got man of the match and all that rubbish and, and then ended up playing on the Saturday um, against James Small, Western Province, which was a, a big game and a game that was taught a hell of a lot about in terms of the confrontation that was to be had between myself and James. Uh, and then there was a midweek game on Pamalanga when Doddy got injured. And then, of course, there was the Saturday game, which I was picked for. So I'm 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 rolling now. I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm in the Saturday side. Sixty minutes into the game, as in having had a, as a result of having had a shocker, just just a rubbish game. 
I was off. Scott Gibbs came on. Alan Tate moved on to the wing. Gibbs in the centre. We just got. And I, knew, I didn't need anybody to tell me. And the, the honesty which she spoke, I knew that I'd be playing the following Wednesday. I knew I would be playing because the result of my performance, it wasn't done. It was, it was substandard. And do you know what, Bruce? Nobody had to say anything to me. I had to have a good look at myself. I probably went off tour for a couple of days, actually. And I stopped being the one with the camera and the jovial one and all this, that and the other. And I just recognised and I had to have a look at myself about why I was there. I wasn't there to make everybody laugh and be the fun guy and all this rubbish. I was there to play rugby. And I was there to play rugby and try and play the tests. Um, and as a result, we played against Gauteng Lions at Ellis Park. We ended up winning the game, which was quite a tough game because we'd lost against the Blue Bulls. We were then going to Natal on the Saturday and then we were into the, the emergency and then the te first test. So we got the show back on the road, actually. We ended up winning the game and uh, I ended up... The, the, we got a standing ovation as we came off the field all the, for all the players who hadn't played. And I remember shouting, it was back on tour, so that was my show back on the road. Yeah, that, that confrontation with James Small, Yeah, the, the, the media love that stuff, but did that fuel you? Yeah, brilliant, loved it, really looked forward to it. There was, um, there was a lot of chat about James Small in the build-up to the game, um, with the forwards, with Lonsdale Alley or Tim Robb and myself, how we would defend him, because he was billed as a character who wanted to make it the James Small show. You know, even within the West, and he was a great player, uh, but a bit, bit, a bit mixed up. You know, a little bit of a, a, a troubled cause, really. Um, the ultimate with the game, he, he ended up, he ended up going around me on the on the short side of a scrum, Bruce. Um, and we, nothing had happened in the first half. We we not really come into contact with each other, but early on in the second half, from the base of the scrum, the halfway line, twenty meters infield. He demanded me to see the ball from his scrum half. He's on the right wing, I'm on the left, which I normally played on the right, but was picked on the left. Then, due to an amazing piece of wing play on his behalf and a rather shabby piece of defensive play on my behalf again, he went round me. As I frantically got back to try and get hold of him, he kicked the ball on, it ran on, and it stopped from the try line. I think it was either Jerry Guscott or Neil Jenkins got back and touched the ball down, resulting in a 22-metre dropout for us. As I very embarrassingly made my way back, he came up to me, circling his finger like this, and he'd gone round me. He then went and stood about 30 metres away in anticipation of receiving this ball, points to me, points to the crowd, pointed back to me, and began to very, well, gesticulate again, very rudely, I dare show you really, but um, at this moment, most of this crowd began to chain, chant worse the effect of, James Smalls, I'm going to kick your ass, Bentley. And I admit, Bruce, I look, did what we've all done at some point, look for a shovel to dig a hole to climb in and hide. Yeah, I thought if I do it, I'm on the next plane home, I'm going to get out, I'm going to fight. Unbelievably. Five minutes later, the base of exactly the same scrum, he had the audacity to demand the ball and go for the same manoeuvre. On this across, I got across a little bit sharper. I took him high, like I like to. We ended, he ended up trying to slam the ball into my face. I ducked. It went out of play. We stepped out of the field over the sideline and I just looked up and I felt I was out of sight of that camera down the touchline and our heads just bumped together and I told him in non we had a bit of a scuffle Bruce and I told him in no uncertain terms that he was going to not not continue to have his own way again about five or six minutes later the ball goes up off Rob Alley's boot comes down he catches it I tackle him I'm on top of him Bruce he can't go anywhere Fortunately for me, there's eight big forwards jump on the top of us two, so nobody's got a clue what's going on. And it kicked off like World War Three, honestly. And he can't go anywhere, and he's getting plenty. And the forwards start to pretend to do the usual splitting it up, but sliding the punching. Basically, to cut a long story short, I know I've rattled on. We won the game. I scored a couple of tries. I went to him to shake his hand after the game, live on television, in front of everybody. He offered me his hand, took it away, and then walked straight past me. And I actually went after him to make him shake my hand. And Tim Robb, the girl, my colleague, said, Bentos, there'll be another day. But, you know, it's, uh, of course, then he got slaughtered for not shaking my hand and then accused me on the Tuesday morning of eye gouging, which I didn't. I was in his face. I was all over him, I'll be honest, but I didn't gouge him. And I took it to Fran. It was front page of every national newspaper. And I took it to Fran and showed him. 
And Fran just looked at it and said, you didn't gouge him, did you? I said, no, I didn't, but I was in his face. He said, well, he's a guy who gets his own way, didn't get his, came off the same best, so, and then just coshed it and it disappeared. I saw him actually after the first test. I didn't play. I was on the bench and we, they were in a bit of a, a down mood. They'd obviously lost the game in, at Newlands. And we shook hands and he apologised actually about how it had all get blown apart. So he's sadly no longer with us, is he? No, I know. And I did wonder if he'd managed to get closure on that with him. So you've, you've got us there. Yeah, I bumped, I bumped into him in 2009 as well uh, in a bar in... Uh, in, I can't remember where we were. We could have been anywhere. 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 He was in a bar and I'd said, what, they'd interview me. what if you bump into Jane Small? I said, well, I'd love to have a pint with him. I'd love to have a chat with him. And I said, but if he wants a fight, I'm not bothered. I'll have a fight. I'm not going to suck You know. And uh, we got brought together and uh, we, had hands, we had a chat. And it was awkward. It was awkward, if I'm honest. It wasn't easy to, to, to get on with. But he's a great player. But... And then he disappeared and, you know, and then, of course, sadly, I was informed about the circumstance of his death, which is a real shame, really, for anybody. Yeah, yeah. no, it was it was one of the, the huge talking points of the tour. So one of my favourite people you've mentioned, Ian McGeekin, but yeah. I, had his, I had his sidekick on here and uh, I've known Jim for a long, long time. What was your relationship like with Jim Telfer? I was, it was a fortunate one because I didn't work with him. He worked with the forwards. But I remember, do you know what, crazily, I remember the five of us, the, the, the new boys from the Kingston Park. We'd been picked and, we, no, we hadn't, it hadn't been announced, but I remember Doddy saying, you wouldn't want to get picked for the Lions. What? Telfer. Telfer at the helm. And, of course, I remember us getting beasted in the scrum early, in, early, early doors, in particular against Western Province. In a scrum session with the forwards, God, they were dying. They were at the apps. And I remember laughing to myself, that's why. But I I loved him. I loved him. And do you know what? I used I didn't spend much time with him um in terms of him, his, his coaching prowess, which is I mean, he was amazing for that job. God, he told them to put the differences to one side and their egos. He was the boss. He was the alpha male and there was a particular session where he laid down the law and he killed them. And they did adhere to everything he said. But I used to sit with him on his own from time to time. We used to have a coffee or a glass of orange. And we used to talk about life and about family. And what a lovely man. What a great, a hard man. But what a lovely man. And I, I loved him to bits. And, you know, probably, probably the biggest, the biggest speech I've ever heard was on the 28th of June when, when we were out, about to outplay the second test and Geach spoke about the challenge and he knew what it was like because he'd been there in 74. But in particular, he didn't really speak much about the rugby. If We were obviously 1-0 up. But he spoke about the people who were sat amongst and the family and the people who would allow it to be where we was for that day. And, and he said, you've been still on the field today and they knew this. It might be 10, 15, 30 years' time you know, before you see each other. And I've been being on the field alongside each other where you can't speak. And it'll just be a look. You won't need to say anything. Oh, it's so true. And I tell you a funny okay, I always remember going into Hong Kong, which I used to go all the time to Hong Kong. I remember bump, bumping into John or Martin Johnson, who was an amazing leader. Very quiet man, actually, initially. Didn't say much. He was a young captain, but he was a big guy, the great presence. And they wanted a big guy standing in front of Tyshman who again was big himself. And uh, John had gone, he'd gone on, on, a, on a week's trip to Hong Kong to do some speaking, but he'd taken five of his pals from his little local club um, who played rugby, but not to any 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 high level. And, and they'd hired a facility on Wang Chai. These lads, there were a couple of them experiencing everything that's good, possibly bad about Wang Chai. And I remember seeing John and we'd gone to do an event on the Tuesday evening with a bunch of solicitors and what have you. And all his mates were really giddy about the winning in Hong Kong, what have you. I'd just come there from Manila. That's why I'd been in Manila for the week prior. So I was a bit dusty, wouldn't you say? And uh, I remember seeing John and we walked and he... Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He has a little bit of a swagger and he swaggered across and put his hand out and bent across with a, with a light, shy, shy half smile on his face. And I knocked his hand out of the way and craned his head down and gave him a big kiss on his cheek and a cuddle. I swear, he looked as though I'd fisted him. He felt so uncomfortable with that. Honestly, it was unbelievable. But all his mates laughed, but I do that. And you know the business with Doddy, don't you? I always tell him he loves it. I love him. He never tells me. He sends me texts, but he'll never tell me in front of people. <laughs> I'm, open, I'm quite open with the rules. So I've always been like that. I'm, 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 I'm comfortable with displaying it. And for me. Well, I feel very honoured because I've got pictures. I've got evidence of you giving me a kiss, so I'm 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 well aware of that, and I've got evidence to prove it. Bentos, I love, I absolutely love talking to you, um, and you've you've been all over. Now, one of the things I'm learning the more I do this and and speak to people, people have only got the capacity to remember maybe four, five, six results in their life, yet we put so much stock in winning. Yeah. But the things we remember are feelings and people and and moments. Who or what or when is the one that maybe you were just in that utopian state of this? There's nowhere else in the world I would rather be right now. Probably the 28th of June, 1997, although I contradict myself because I wanted to be in so many places, didn't I? But it was that one moment. It would just be nice if I could have had some of those people around me to share that experience. But it, it was that achievement of winning that second test, having been given no chance. We were given no chance, seriously. And we were second best for a good 50 minutes of that game. But that one moment when you thought, wow, this is, you can't get, you can't get better than this. It can't possibly get better. And is that then the evidence of what Geach said. It's creating those memories that then in 30 years' time, yeah. you'll yeah. just remember. You, you know, I think, it's, what we should, I think the significant thing about 97 is it was just, it was the advent of professionalism. You know, we were, I was paid. I got some money. Lions. It chew through your arm, wouldn't you? God, I couldn't believe it. Um, but they were actually talking about whether or not there was a place for the Lions in the professional era. Well, if you then look at 2001, that was a pretty ordinary tour. Uh, Graham Henry lost the chain rooms a little bit. Uh, it became a bit of a drag. 2005, wow. Um, Clive nearly destroyed the concept of what the Lions is all about. Tried to treat them as the England team and it doesn't work with the Lions. It's a special brand. It's a special way to, to, to bring the people together. And then 2009, back on track in South Africa. 2013, a win for Gats in, in, in Australia. And then quite an extraordinary result in New Zealand in 2017. The Lions is massive. It's absolutely It's one of the biggest brands in world sport now. Uh, and the amount of supporters that travel. Now, of course, that'll have been extremely challenging this time for the boys. It'll have been crucial they got on. They, they got on a group of players. And I think they did. They appeared to do so, didn't they, Bruce, from what we saw. Um, but there were no supporters there and they were in a bubble all the time. And it's a shame for them that they didn't have the experience that we've had previously. So, but it's, you know, being on 2025, you know, it's back to Australia. And you're a, you're a really rare breed. You're a Scotland 
test lion. There's there's not many of you around. I think there are more pandas in Scotland than there are uh, test lions. So how how was that? Was that important? Do you think for Jim to have some of his foot soldiers in the camp? No, I I, I don't think so. I, I think uh, it, it 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 has to be. Uh, I think one of the things that Jim Geach and Fran Cotton as a as a group bring to the table or brought to the table is whoever goes on that plane has to have a chance of getting in the test team. And that philosophy was stated from day one and uh and uh they backed it up and uh I was fortunate enough to to to, to get in the team and you know sometimes on a trip like that it's it is you can be in the right place at the right time and you know there are, there are a couple of games that you probably i was probably lucky not to be involved in and uh then you know suddenly momentum gets behind you and and people start talking about you as a test player and uh then off you go but it was it was yeah it was it was a it was a great trip and it was you know on, on the social side and and everything it was, it was kind of the almost like marked the end of amateur rugby in a way there were lots of uh mixing and socializing with supporters and uh just uh south africa is a pretty good place to to go and play rugby and, and hopefully this 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 summer it will be the same i'm hopeful this time we'll get uh, one or two uh lines from the scotland team yeah, I certain, certainly hope so yeah and how how did you find out because I, I love these stories of how did you find out you'd got into the Lions squad I, I got a I think I got a call from a, a journalist uh, I I was completely unaware that, of the announcement or anything I I just I, I you know nowadays it's you know it's on Sky News and it's a, just it's a big thing and it, back in the day you'd, you know you'd get a letter through the post and and that was it. it was okay fairly quiet there wasn't this uh social media thing that if you if you weren't watching tv that was it you you didn't know i i didn't know what a mobile phone was back then so uh it was just if i happened to be at home and the phone rang i'd, I'd answer it so it was yeah it was it it's difficult to explain i i didn't start that was my first season playing for scotland and i i started the first game i was on the bench and I had no awareness that this tour was going on. On I was the selection just just kind of uh, just happened that way. And later, talking to Jim, he mentioned he'd seen me at the Melrose Sevens uh, a couple of years before. So and said, you know, that was that was one of the you know the the moments where I'd come, I guess, come into his consciousness in a way and. Uh, that was maybe again, you know, right place at the right time. So you then get to go with the Lions and talking of rare breed, but also Geach and Jim Telfer as the coaches. You've got Gregor and Rob Wainwright and Doddy and, you know, things were things were looking pretty good. How did the Scottish boys respond to what happened to Doddy? I, th I think they were the same as everybody. It was... Uh... In, in the game, I, I I didn't see it happen in the game. So I we came off, and there was something obviously brewing. And uh, the the I think the president of Mpumalanga, the team we played uh, in the press conference, tried to defend his actions. So it, there was a lot of anger, and and it, it it took a while. You know, like I said, there were these things would be all over social media very quickly nowadays. It, it, we didn't get to see actually what had happened until uh you know a day or so later but uh we, you know we knew something pretty awful had happened and um yeah pretty horrific but uh yeah it was you know just a huge disappointment i think uh to get that far and uh i think he was uh certainly in the frame for a for a test spot the way he was playing in fact to have it ended in that way was uh just a shame. Who who on that tour did you meet? I won't go for the dirt, so I'm not going to ask you to dish dirt on anybody. Who did you go on that tour and you didn't know 
or you had already had an idea of them and it changed positively or who did you go on that tour with and you became mates with and you didn't see it coming? I think uh, I the, the nice thing about Lion Store, I think I've said this before, is you you, you make a, you, Gooch said it in the, in the first test in the pre-match chat the night before, you, you kind of, you'll make friends for life you may not see each other for for a few years, but you'll you'll kind of have that that connection, and uh, you know from time to time you'll bump into each other at a dinner or some sort of charity event or anything. And uh, yeah, I I made uh, you know uh, just lots of friendships like that in a way. I I uh, may surprise you to hear this, but I I keep myself to myself. And uh, just um, just sort of quietly try to get on with things. So, um, but you know, I've I'm still in contact with quite a, quite a lot of guys from that trip, and you know, I'm fortunate to to have done it. So, yeah, uh, naming names, I I don't know. I think uh, it was it was a very uh, united, sociable tour, and a lot of good people. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people's moment, you know, the Living with the Lions DVD and now it's on whatever streaming site. It it's watched a lot because it was the first really of its kind. But everybody watched it and thought that looks like a whole heap of fun. They're having a drink, they're arsing about, John Bentley's doing that, they're doing the court session. It, it's almost a different world for a lot of pros now and a lot of professionals now are desperate to go and play for the Barbarians because that's where they kind of maybe see that as an outlet. What was the difference between 97 and 2001? Um, I, I think obviously the game was four years in, four years longer into professionalism. Um, oh, I, I think the philosophy was slightly different. And this this is not necessarily a criticism of the 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 coaching or the management. I I, I don't think they were as tight as Jim, Fran, and Geach. I think it's difficult to match that level of uh, you know trust and um, self awareness that they had. But I think also the one thing you can't do on a Lions tour, and I think it's it's a mistake that's been made again since then, is is pick your team before you get out there. Have a have an idea of your test team. I think it's uh, you have to um, go, you know, go go with a very open mind. I think one of the the really important things about '97 was you you'd get up after a game on on a Saturday or a Tuesday or Wednesday, and you'd train the next morning with the team playing the next day, and you'd hold bags and you'd uh, you know. You were, your body was hurting, but and but in two thousand and one, we almost became two separate sides in a way, just a, a weekend team and a midweek team, and there was movement between the two teams. And but uh, we, um, you know, there was unity and cohesion amongst the players, but it 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 felt different, and uh, that's and. You know that we're, we're forgetting that, that it was the finest of fine margins that that uh, cost us the the win on that trip. In the second test, we were well up at half time, and um, you know, really, we should have uh, we should have won. But uh, you know, these are the the marginal gains, I guess, and the, the, the smallest of details can can change everything. And the tour is, you know, had had that second test gone to plan or had we won that line out in the last test, um, we'd be remembering <laughs> the tour very differently. Yeah. So uh, the, the other bit to the four years that's passed, yourself and Paul Wallace, you know, everybody at the moment is picking their Lions team. So after every Six Nations weekend, Jeremy Guskett and Will Carling and Scott Hastings have picked their Lions 15 in that moment, which is really just for show and for social media because there's so much water to travel under the bridge between now and then. You and Paul Wallace probably wouldn't have featured in many, many teams in the run-up to it, but you absolutely proved yourself in the moment and the bits that 
didn't happen in the 80 minutes obviously counted as well. Jim Telfer and Ian McGeekin knew you and worked with you and Paul Wallace had done. So by the time 2001 came along, surely you were a shoo-in to start for the test team. Um, it, but it shouldn't be that way. It should be, uh, you know, the reality, as we've seen in, in this Six Nations, that, that there are some very good players um, who haven't found form and some other players who've come from nowhere to be, to be, you know, the form players of the tournament. So I, I think in that respect, you, you, you know, obviously good players will always be good players, but you want your good players to be on form. So um, there has to be that, that open-mindedness in selection. And, uh, you know, that's where I, you know, you look at uh, what is a fairly young Scotland team and you, th you think there's several players in that, in that group that you think if they got into the Lions environment, they got the chance to improve, yeah. they would improve very quickly. And it's just, you know, getting on, getting on that flight fit and uh, getting the opportunity. And is that what happened to you in 97? Did you get better because you were in that environment? Yeah, I, I, I think so, without a shadow of doubt. And I think um, anyone who, who's done, you know, more of that length, so we're talking, you know, seven, seven, eight weeks, and you play that, that often and train that often, you, you just get that match hardness and that fitness and uh, you reach a new level. And uh, I think, you know, as a, as a relatively young player, um, suddenly being uh, thrown in the mix and surrounded by these players that I've you know, been watching for the last few years on TV and on the La on the Lions tour before, and you uh, you have to step up. And if you don't step up, uh, it's a tough place to be. What was the come down like? You've you've just beaten South Africa in South Africa. When you got home and started to train and play again, was there a bit of a this is, you know, this is not the Lions. Uh, do you know what I didn't? I I got back from the the tour and I uh, I didn't play for the most of the next season. I had uh, um, a uh, problem with my um, well, it seemed to be a problem with my pelvis. It turned out to be a hernia, and it just took a while to sort out. So I, I mean, you've got to remember these are back in the days with that. They had these hydraulic scrum machines. They used to have one uh, on the wall at Murrayfield. And um, it had, instead of uh, just like a, a normal floor, they had these, rub these rubber-coated bar metal bars. So you, it was pretty much 100% grip. And you'd pack down against this machine. You'd push it in, and then it would push back at you. And it, more often than not, it would be someone, Jim or Richard Dixon, <laughs> And it just pulled down this lever and the machine would just squeeze you back slowly. And you've got uh, second rows and everyone squeezing one way and the machine pushing you back. And this machine is not, it's not going to lose. And uh, we had the same sort of machine in, uh, in South Africa. So they, before each scrum session, we drilled down these, uh, these um, spikes into the ground. They went about a foot into the ground. And so the machine was, you know, it wasn't really going to move very much. And uh, again, it had the same hydraulic. So you'd push in and then it would push back. And uh, I think a few of us suffered a few, uh, a few issues after the trip. But uh, I think, yeah, the, I think not long after that, the machine got taken off the wall at Murrayfield and it's probably in a, in a dusty cupboard somewhere at Murrayfield. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still can't understand why you'd want to do that. But when you stuck your head in a scrum against South Africa and Jim had up the headlines and told everybody what they were going to do to the scrum and he almost took it personally, as Jim did often with those kind of things. I mean, by rights, you guys shouldn't have done what you did to a South African scrum. But... Was that where you drawn all that education from Danny and Clubland and what you'd done? And you knew that if he does that, I'm going to twist him here or I'm going to just get into him there or I'm going to tickle him here? I, I think uh, that, I mean, the, the, the first scrum of the first test was, was a, I, I remember the feeling of shock. And we had a little chat as a front row afterwards and it was, 
it was because uh, we went back about five meters and and they really smashed us and and I I think we were probably fitter than them and I think in that's often under underestimated at, at scrum time you know if you if you're too tired to scrum then you can't scrum so but no technically uh, we didn't do that much analysis of our opposition back in that those days it was more concentrated on on ourselves and you know what we were going to do and hence the hundred scrum sessions at, at the at, uh, at the back of Loftus Loftus Roosevelt and just uh, again getting that tightness and that buy-in from from everybody that actually this was not going to be a weakness because uh, just because they say it's going to be a weakness I get, I mean in I guess in some ways it's there are some parallels between playing South Africa then and now if you, you look at the Springboks there they're a team that looks to physically dominate of kicking strong set piece and really good defense now, I, I guess we can say we we're gonna beat them at their own game and kick a lot have a really good kick chase and get our defense right or we can say we're going to try and speed up the game and play at a higher tempo and I'm hopeful that we go for the latter because I think that would favor favor Scotland players rather than saying we are going to pick the eight biggest forwards we can and actually let's try and match them physically but also uh, beat them on the mobility and the, the actual rugby side of things but it's a you know it's an interesting philosophical decision for them to make yeah and it's taken up hours and hours of everyone's time about what that's going to be how did it feel as the prop at the end of a game you know first test second test the backs are jumping around hugging each other can you remember is it hindsight do you remember what was it like in that moment when the final whistle went were you able to jump up and down or were you just absolutely done I think uh, I mean after the second test, I, of, of all the games, big games I've ever played in, that's probably the game I feel like we've been most dominated in by the opposition. We're chasing shadows for a lot of the game, just defending, defending, and just hanging on in there. So uh, I think everyone was pretty tired. But I think you know a, a lot of things in, in in sport and I guess in life take a little while to sink in and. I think it's retrospectively you, you kind of look back and you, I think uh, after that second test, a, a lot of the players got got a bit of a, a sickness bug. There was uh, we had a tough weekend up in uh, it was uh, back at um, crikey, where was it in Pum near Mpumalanga in, in a hotel in the middle of nowhere, and it was where the All Blacks stayed before the '95 World Cup final. Actually, so it's got and, previous. Uh, it had previous, and, and and everybody got a bit. I think just the emotion and the the, uh, the physical exertion took its toll, and we were, you know, we were running on empty in that last test. But for and I think that's something Geach and Jim had talked about that if you want to win in South Africa, you need to win the first two. Otherwise, uh, winning three is going to be tough. And I think they're right, and I think. That probably goes for this next trip as well. When you look back and you, you mentioned being in North Queensland and complaining about things, and then now that you look back, you think how ungrateful maybe I felt. When you were in those moments in South Africa, and apologies for harping on this, but this is one of my favourites and I wish I'd been there and all those kind of things, but I've watched that documentary 150,000 times and I'll watch it again. Were you able to enjoy it? Did you you know we see the speeches and we we get built up and ready to go out and battle and we're just sitting on our couch but were you able to sense the enormity of what you were doing and how long lasting that was going to be i, th I think b before the trip i was i was definitely aware of uh, the questions were being asked about whether the lions had a place in pro rugby and wh where that place was and how it would work and how important the tour was but uh I think, you know, in, in the moment, I, I remember um, just the absolute terror Sit, sitting on the bus going to the first test, just thinking to myself, you know, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Why am I doing this to myself? I, you know, it was, I, I think it's something most rugby players will 
can relate to in terms of that 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 fear fear of failure before a game and then the whistle goes and it, it all disappears but uh i'm you know i you know had a little routine before you know i'd walk around the pitch and had a little warm-up routine before we started the the, the games but uh yeah I, I think um i was consumed in in some ways in, in that moment by the 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 enormity of what failure would mean for me personally and the the pressure to perform so i guess it's looking back now that you you enjoy it in, in a way at the time it was uh just uh you don't don't cock it up yeah and i would say it would, it would be the same running out for the northern midlands in uh you know, in 1995, in the in a game against Edinburgh, it would be the, any game was the same. And I think if you don't have that, then uh, you need to find it in yeah, a way that, you... uh, and maybe you know, with hindsight, I would maybe learn to challenge it into more positive things. But uh, you know, I, I guess that's what made me tick. Of all the games that you played, what's the one that sticks out above all? If you could only keep one, what would it be? Oh, okay. Uh, I think um, probably the the first test, ninety seven. I think um, just in terms of the, the way the game, the expectation, the pressure before the game, and the, the way we finished with it finishing so strongly. I felt almost if we had another ten minutes on the clock, we would have uh, scored another couple, and uh, it was just. Uh, um a combination of relief and uh um exhilaration and just uh the culmination of you know lots of hill runs in dundee lots of hard nights against danny errington lots of <laughs> days at female watsonians uh you know and i think it was all uh all worth it i love it i love it and Thank you for listening and watching the greatest hits with the Living with the Lions superstars. How good to hear from these men with their stories of that tour and what they've done since then. How much the badge meant to them. Those speeches, those moments, those people, those relationships made, those experiences shared. And they're still willing to talk about it today. I absolutely loved it and I hope you enjoyed it too. If you'd like to listen to more, you can catch us on ACAST, Spotify, and Apple. Please check out the back catalogue. You can also watch on YouTube and Facebook if you'd like to see what's going on. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I look forward to what's coming in the future. We've got some big names lined up. I hope you're going to be there with us too. In the meantime, my name's Bruce Aitchison, and my happiness is egg-shaped. Stay safe. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. No, 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 Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.